Welcome into the first episode of the Sabermetrics Podcast. My name is Bill. Alongside me is Walt. Walt, say hi to everyone. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's great to get this podcast started. It's uh, been a long time coming, and we've got a lot of Saber stuff to keep you guys updated with. And we'll go over the offseason, some draft moves, uh, pretty much run through the whole Sabres offseason. So looking forward to it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a dead period right now in the NHL, but we definitely want to get uh, some kind of content out to to Sabres fans um, because, you know, we're we're dying for some some content ourselves and and anything to talk about the Sabres. So um, really, I I think to set the premise, I think as of right now, uh, and it will change once the season rolls around, but our main goal is to have this as a biweekly show, Um, hopefully try to condense it as as much as possible to, to keep it action-packed and, um, you know, keep the episode shorter. Um, but I, I know I'm just someone that loves to listen to podcasts when I'm driving places or uh, even working out or anything like that. So hopefully this is something that, uh, you know, others can can listen to and enjoy um, and, and definitely participate in. We have a lot of guests that we have planned and lined up. Um, so it's it's exciting. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough time in our world right now. It's a tough time in the NHL. But um, there's there's plenty to talk about and there's plenty to anticipate. Um, I saw the latest update uh, just this morning that I believe that they're looking to try and follow suit with the NBA and, and get there right around the, the 1st of January. Um, I, I'm more of the uh, belief that it would start maybe at the end of end of January, starting of, of February, uh, especially when you have training camps in, involved. What the, What's your timeline kind of you know, looking like Walton, what do you kind of think about the the situation at hand with likely a shortened season and then, you know, a, a playoff format that uh, we could uh, see like we did this past summer? Well, I think uh, getting the season off soon is definitely going to be pretty important because I know oh, some places have talked about how NBC has the Olympics contract for the summer and obviously they have the NHL TV contract. So I think it's really important for the NHL to get their season going and finished uh, before the Summer Olympics, just to get those playoffs in on in on that NBC TV deal. And, I mean, it sucks to have a shortened season. I mean, the main thing I think about is, like, guys like Ovechkin uh, chasing that all-time goal record. I mean, he's had so many shortened seasons in his career with uh, playing through two lockouts the shortened season last year another shortened season this year. And then you have someone like Patrick Marlowe. He's just a couple of games away from breaking the NHL all-times games played record. And he also has to deal with the shortened season this year. So just in terms of statistics like that, I feel like it's definitely impacted some players who've been in the league for the past 15 years. But, I mean, I'm just looking forward to hockey. It's weird being in November right now, coming to Thanksgiving and not having 
any Sabres games on, any NHL games. So, yeah, I'm just looking forward to the season. And before we look forward, we pretty much have to look back at, I guess the starting point uh, would be when Jason Botterill was fired and they hired Kevin Adams. And I think we're just going to go through uh, the major moves that were made, give our thoughts. Um, they're they're pretty well well cooked at this point um, because everyone else has, has talked about them uh, a great deal. But uh, first, starting with the stall trade, uh, my personal viewpoint was I like Marcus Johansson as a player, but it just didn't work out. The fit wasn't right. They asked him to do something he wasn't great at. I think he's more of a third line left winger on a on a deep playoff team. Um, that's that's really what I thought of him. Uh, I remember seeing some highlights these past couple weeks when I've been watching, and he's made some really impressive plays that led to goals. But um, getting someone like Eric Stahl, who has a pedigree, uh, the veteran experience, I'm not saying you didn't have that with Johansson or Johansson, however you uh, pronounce that. But uh, Eric Stahl is just the the right choice to have a second line center uh, especially when you have young guys like Casey Middlestad uh, Dylan Cousins um, even you know even Jack Eichel uh, to have that guy as your pivot on on the second line and, and to improve that and not force someone into that role is huge uh, what, what were your thoughts on that I think Johansson he was really just in that Jason Bottrell era I don't know who got into his ear and told him that transition stats are everything because you kind of seen that baked into that Montour trade and also the Johansson signing, just that strong neutral zone play, strong transition play will lead to good offense. And obviously, as we've seen in Buffalo, that's not the case. So also trying to fit him into that 2C role, that just was a failed experiment too. He's more suited for the wing. So yeah, being able to swap a guy who they tried – fitting into a 2C role but wasn't actually a center and replacing him with a guy who has proven experience playing at center in the NHL, even though he may be in his mid to late 30s. I mean, that's just a win for the Sabres and just a huge trade for Kevin Adams to get his offseason started Yeah, because that's really the biggest question for the Sabres, that 2C role. I mean, they just haven't been able to fill it since O'Reilly. Absolutely. And, um, you know, credit where credit is due. That's a great trade. And whether, um, you know, Bill Guerin was just trying to make a quick move and shake up the team uh, or, or whatever his thought process was there, um, you know, you have to give credit to Kevin Adams for jumping on that opportunity and, and making the most of it. So I think moving just straight to the draft at this point, uh, I, I think we can, you know, speak on the later round draft picks in, in a later episode. But the biggest two are Jack Quinn and J.J. Paterka. I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on on both the players, where they were drafted, how they were drafted, um, with you know who was on the board and, and things of, of that nature. What were your thoughts on that? Well, me with Jack Quinn, I think he's a solid prospect, but honestly, he was one of the prospects I had a harder time getting a read on just because of how explosive his past year has been with uh, putting up over 50 goals in his OHL draft year. Uh, compared to a season before when in he was short, around like half in a shortened yeah, in season, a shortened I'm sorry to season. interrupt, but in a shortened season. So he was on on you know the projection of I believe sixty plus. Yes, and he was shooting around twenty one percent. So that's one of the things that I mean I kind of question a bit. He shot thirteen percent the year before. That shoots up to twenty one percent. I mean obviously he has one of the best shots in the class. Maybe he got a little bit lucky last year. Who knows? 
But, I mean, overall, he seems like a solid prospect. It's just there's so many red flags with him there. And with the guys on the board like Rossi and Perfetti and even a guy like Anton Lundell or a generational goalie prospect in Yaroslav Oskarov, and there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be picked after Jack Quinn who will probably have better NHL careers than Jack Quinn. I mean, that's going to be maybe a tough pill for Sabres fans to swallow. I mean, we're so used to having better players being drafted after our pick. So, I mean, Quinn's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of things to like about his game. But when evaluating draft prospects, you not only have to look at the prospect themselves, but also look at the prospects who are also available at the time your team picked. And when you do that second part of that test, I think that's where the Quinn pick uh, kind of falls in value a little bit in my book. No, I mean, that's a fair assessment. Um, He's going to get a bit of the Ryan Johnson treatment where it's not necessarily his fault. He, you know, he's the player he is and, you know, he obviously works as hard as he can, which I did like hearing that uh, he has been working on his skating a lot this summer um, because that's obviously the biggest concern that I have and, and a lot others have. Um, but yeah, there's, there's something to be said, uh, for not being able to control where you go and where you're drafted. So that's not on him. Any critique, any critique, excuse me, of his game or, or where he's at is more of who picked him and, and how he was picked and, and who he was around. But, um, they did make a, a good pick in the second round with JJ Paterka. I know they, they traded up for him, but um, I can see what they like about him. He's he's someone that isn't the flashiest, but he does a lot of things well and with a high motor, and he has a quick jump, quick first step. Uh, any other you know kind of attributes that stuck out to you with him? And Paterka, he's just I think he's going to be NHLer in some capacity. He just plays a solid game, great motor. The one thing that I think could hold him back from being a top six impact player is just his dynamic playability. I mean, he's just got to be able to like make more moves out there, not skate in a straight line. He's got to get more creative out there to, I think, fill that top six role. But, I mean, if he's able to do what he does now well enough, I think you could see him kind of like in that Gergensen's role when he was placed on that Eichel line, like back when Eichel was in his second year. I mean, there's talk about Gergensen possibly playing a top six role this year. So I think... Paterka's kind of in a similar mold as like a Gergensen's type of player. I mean, maybe with a bit of a higher ceiling because he's still a prospect. And I mean, I just think it's it was a safe pick. I mean, I like Paterka as a prospect. It's not the pick that I would have made just because uh, I'm a huge fan of Marat Kuznadinov. And he was obviously taken by the Wild, I believe, two or three picks later. I mean, I would just love to see the Sabres just take a swing on like a really high ceiling guy in the second round. Cause I feel like Paterka, I think he's better than a guy like Asplin or Davidson, but I feel like he still falls kind of in that same region of prospect that's should be an NHLer. I mean, Davidson's obviously had injuries, so maybe he won't be an NHLer, but it's just their ceiling is just uh, not, not as high as some other players that are still available on the board. Yeah, I think the thing with Paterka is I'm really taking away is that he might be a really solid bottom six guy. Um, it looks like he cycles the puck well. He, you know, he's in there creating, um, you know, turnovers. 
uh, for defensemen making any kind of mistakes. He gets the puck back to his defenseman uh, on the point, you know, incredibly well. And with his quickness, you know, it, it definitely helps him in the defensive end as well. So, I, you know, even if he doesn't make the, the top six, I, I think we've all come to find how important the bottom six is and, and having really good players on uh, at their roles in, in those positions. So I think uh, Paterka might not be the... He might not be the safest pick, but he might not be the, you know, the, the flashes, like you said, either. So, um, you know, I, I am excited to see where he comes. I, I think the, the skill is kind of like Quinn skating, where there's some left to be desired. But hopefully uh, with, with years of, you know, marination, they can, you know, improve and, and become, uh, you know, serviceable and, and really good players for the Sabres. Uh, moving on to uh, someone that you already mentioned, Zemgis Gergensen's. What did you think about that contract? I mean, I remember from the Pagulas, uh, that video press conference they had after they fired Jason Bottrell, and they talked about being effective, economic, and efficient. And this contract really just contradicts all of that just because I don't think his market value was anywhere near what the Sabres gave him, paying over $2 million for three seasons. I mean... They could have let this guy sit out on the open market. He probably wouldn't have been signed for three or four weeks. They probably could have signed him for below a million dollars. I mean, I like the player itself. I mean, I just hate the amount of players we have on the Sabres. He loved his players, like an Oposo, for example. But just their contract uh, kind of makes you turn sour on them. And I feel like Gergensen's, I mean, obviously it's not as bad as the Oposo contract. But, I mean, the Sabres are just burning money with some of these contracts. I mean, they just sign them way above market value. And, and it you was... see a guy like, like Johan Larson, seeing him sign less than Gergensen's is just not good. It seems like they got that contract done incredibly quick. Like, that was, yeah. If if unless I'm mistaken, I mean, it seems like that was something that was definitely pushed from the very top down. Um, you know, again, and like you mentioned, I like Jurgensen's. I, I really don't have anything against him, but again, and what is he going to say? No, I should take less money. No, he's obviously going to you know try to get as much money as he can. But I, like you said, they should have either held off and and see what happens there, um, I, unless he says, "Look, it's either you you let me sign this contract or I'm walking." I'm not exactly sure if he even has that kind of pull, but I mean, it, it just it struck me as odd, especially once you saw the contracts coming out that they rushed it. You know, I mean, Mike Hoffman's yeah. not signed yet. There's there's plenty of players that still aren't signed yet. Um, you know, I, I feel like that's something that they could have negotiated down and gotten a better price for. So that's rather frustrating. But on the good side of signings, Taylor Hall, that's huge. Huge signing. Huge signing. What I mean, what were your initial reactions? I was, I was completely shocked. I had no idea how to feel. Yeah, I remember uh... – I just thought it was like one of those fake like Bob McKenzie accounts or one of those right. like tweeting out the Hall signing just because at Taylor Hall signing in like probably one of the most disappointing NHL franchises of the past decade. I mean, it's just pretty unbelievable. And I mean, I don't know, that's just, that's just a game changer for the Sabres. And I mean, it really just came in and saved their off season. Like if Hall would have signed in Buffalo, I don't even think the Sabres would have a plan going to next season just because that changes the whole dynamic of the offense. You add another elite player, also pushes down everyone you planned on being your top six to maybe 
lower role, so it adds more depth to your lineup. Uh, it's just a huge signing from the Sabres. Absolutely, and and it's one of those things where I, I believe Kruger when he says to him, look, the, the team is closer than it may appear. We just need someone to take us over the edge. Because like you said, the depth that this provides, I mean, you might have a really couple really good players on your third line just because Taylor Hall signed here and, and you you have that flexibility. Um, I, I think it's, yes, you have the player, but what it allows you to do in your lineup is is massive. Uh, what, a, what a signing. Um, I'm, I'm excited that, you know, at least he's here for, for a year. And, um, you know, hopefully at some point, you know, there's there's enough good play by both him and the team to want to extend further um, because I'm not exactly sure what they can do when they have, you know, Pozo's contract and Skinner's contract. But I think I would take Hall over Skinner any day. And that's something to, to kind of keep an eye out. You know, if, if if it really does work out that well, is Skinner's future really here? I know he has a no movement clause, I, I believe, or if that's later in his contract. But that's something that could possibly work out to him not seeing the end of his contract with Buffalo. Um, you know, that's, that's just rumors and, and hearsay and, and me just putting that out there. But um, it's something that I've thought about a lot, especially if, you know, you, you go to the best case scenario with Taylor Hall in this lineup. The, the yeah, last... I mean... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I mean, at least if the Sabres suck, you know, they're going to be fun with guys like Skinner and Hall. So, Absolutely. I mean, that's like the one upside. And I mean, that Skinner contract in hindsight, I mean, even at the time looks really bad because they signed him at his max value. Like that's probably the best season you'll ever get out of Skinner. And then he followed it up with probably the worst season you'll ever get out of Skinner. Mm. And I expect next season probably to be somewhere in the middle, probably a bit on the higher end. So, I mean, I mean, it's just unfortunate timing for the Sabres. I mean, obviously they could have taken him off Eichel's wing during that contract year, but I mean, having both Hall and Skinner and still having a little bit of cap space, I mean, the Sabres just be a really fun team on offense. I'm really looking forward to watching them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where even if they didn't change much, if anything, on the defense and, and goaltending side, at least they'll hopefully get more production out of their team. And look, it's not exciting. It's not how you want to win games. And it's certainly not going to take you you know, deep in the playoffs. But if you're winning games 7-5, I mean, it's exciting. Yeah, a lot better than losing two to one. Absolutely, two to one heartbreaker where you had forty five shots and you just couldn't beat the goalie. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the last thing that I want to to go over with the off season and I guess the decisions that were made was the hiring of Seth Appert, Mike Weber, and Adam Mayer for Rochester. Um, I'm going to let you take this first. I'm going to follow up with my opinions because I, I think they might differ, especially when it comes to. Uh, guys like Mike Weber and Adam Mayer, but uh, what uh, what were your thoughts when you heard uh, of those? I mean, the first thing I thought of was, I mean, just kind of how much Chris Taylor got blindsided by uh, being fired by the Pagulas. I mean, I don't really think it was fair to him, especially after all he was able to do in Rochester. And I think, I think they could have had a deep run in the AHL playoffs last season if it wasn't shortened because of coronavirus, because he really had guys like Jacob Bryson. And uh, starting to turn it on at the end of the year, and he had some good prospects in middle stat down there. And the, I mean, Seth Appert, I mean, obviously, he's coached a national team development program. He also coached at the college level, too, didn't have the best uh, win loss record there. 
So, I mean, he's definitely interesting hiring, but I mean, I don't see a situation where you would hire him if you have a guy like Chris Taylor, unless Chris Taylor got hired by an NHL team. But I mean, that wasn't the case. Chris Taylor was fired by the Sabres and they replaced him with an unknown. And the two assistant signings kind of falls back into the Pagula's new philosophy of just hiring people they know and are familiar with. And like really in any aspect of life in the business world or the hockey world, that typically leads to disaster. And I don't really know how good of a coach Weber and Mayer could be. Maybe they could prove me wrong. Maybe they're great coaches. But I mean, it just screams like Mickey Mouse organization with like how they handled the whole Rochester situation. I'm just not a really big fan of it. Yeah, I mean, it definitely left a bad taste in my mouth for sure. Um, I think the the biggest thing for for me, um, I guess we we agree a little bit more than than expected, um, because I I really don't mind the hiring of Seth. Seth Appert, excuse me. Um, some, you know, you have to get your foot wet in the the professional ranks somewhere. Um, but to follow that up with guys like Mike Weber and Adam Mary, I understand Adam Mary's been you know coaching and development and before, but this just sends them into look. We'd rather develop down here than win. And I understand you know it it could swing the other way where they just have a bunch of veterans and the Amherst are good, but you know your prospects aren't developing like they should. But at the same time, you have a rookie coach, which is fine. But then you also have rookie assistant coaches as well. Look, they've they played in at all levels. Uh, I'm sure you know we might be over exaggerating this, but it just seems like they might get in over their head if things start to go sour in Rochester because it's it's an interesting situation down there. I I really don't know what their roster makeup's going to look like. Are they going to have guys like Middlestad, Thompson? Um, I guess maybe they you know. Thompson seems to be a lock for the Sabres. Um, yeah. But who are you going to have? And and it's not even all their fault because, they you know, you have to have the players to coach. So I'm interested to see how that works out. I'm not the biggest fan of it either, um, especially when it comes to just hiring all rookie coaches. And then I really liked Chris Taylor. Uh, he was always there, you know, development camps and prospect tournaments. I just – I really liked him. It left a really bad taste in my mouth just the way that all happened. Um, you know, I'm happy that he's able to go coach with Lindy Ruff now, but um, yeah, that's it was disappointing for sure. Uh, but what wasn't disappointing? We're back to Royal Blue. Yeah, it's amazing. The so Finally. we have just the normal jerseys, which the only gripe I had was that white stripe towards the the bottom of the the jerseys. Seeing it kind of worn and and seeing it more, it really doesn't bug me. They're gonna look awesome. Especially the white jerseys. The blue ones are, are nice, absolutely. But those those away jerseys are really, really nice. But then we also move into the retro jerseys that were brought out. My only gripe is that they weren't red, black, and gray. Like the ones that they had in the early 2000s. Those are probably at least top five in my Sabres jersey rankings. Because those were just, they were fantastic. I wish they went back to that. That would have been a really nice touch. Um, but I mean, what are your thoughts on not only the Sabres jerseys, but all of the retro jerseys that were put out there? You know, I mean, the Sabres retro jersey, I really like the logo. I mean, just like, as you said, the red, black and gray color scheme for like that set of logos, I think is just superior just cause like the yellow and blue with that silver and white, it really just like blends together and kind of like muddles up the logos. 
But I mean, the whole Adidas reverse retro program, I know it's a song that's been in the works with Adidas for about like a year or two. And I was kind of skeptical of it at first, but I mean, it's just like such a fun idea. And it's great to see like all the social media presence like NHL jerseys have. I mean, they just did a great job with the release and they've got people talking about it. I mean, like we're talking about the jerseys right here on this podcast. I'm sure there's a ton of other podcasts where they talk about it, a ton of blogs. So it's just great to see like the NHL Adidas work together to put out like that type of content during kind of like a dead period in the NHL off season. So I think, I mean, it's just a brilliant idea from Adidas and some really cool Jersey designs too. Absolutely. And we're going to get into our top five and, and our bottom five here shortly. But I think the biggest thing is I really do like the approach where they're trying to make it maybe like the MLB and the NBA where they have multiple jerseys and you can wear a, a bunch of different varieties. One, it, you know, it'll help them sell different jerseys and, and, like you just mentioned, you know, raise awareness of the game and, and people enjoy talking about them. And, and as you know, a lot of the guys in, in the Charging Buffalo are, are big fans of collecting jerseys. I mean, just imagine if they came out with more alternatives to Buffalo jerseys, like to the point where I'll even accept a yellow jersey. And if you know one thing about me, I am not a fan of yellow jerseys. So <laughs> if the Sabres put out a yellow jersey because they, you know, they're running out of different schemes and, and colors of, of jerseys that they're creating. That's a good thing. You know, the better, the better variety of jerseys, the, the more you'll have people talking about them. And, and that's the biggest thing, like you said, with these retro jerseys is that we can take away is people that love hockey obviously are talking about them. I know people that don't really watch hockey all that much or occasionally they were talking about it, saying how much they loved certain ones and, um, you know, that's just a good thing for the NHL, who's kind of not the greatest at PR and, and getting people attracted to their game. Um, so I think the biggest thing that I want to go over is, um, you know, we'll go over our top five jerseys. We're probably going to agree on a lot of those, but our bottom five jerseys of those that were created for the retro reverse. Um, let's start with the top five, obviously. But what did you think were the worst jerseys that they came out with? So. Uh, my top five, I guess I'll just get it out of the way. Arizona, L.A., Minnesota, New Jersey, and the Rangers. Um, Arizona is kind of a lock. That purple, awesome purple. It's not in your face and super bright, um, but it's a really nice color. And then you can't just beat the desert trim. Uh, L.A., you know, it is a little bit more of a, I guess you would quote-unquote harsh purple. Um, but I just really liked uh, the, the color scheme there. Same thing with Minnesota, the green and the yellow just looks awesome those north star colors are perfect i love those um red and green for the new jersey jerseys sounds weird to say but um, those are big fan of those as well um those are definitely retros i i remember um you know wanting to get one of that one of those jerseys for the longest time haven't been able to get one yet but it seems like a pretty good time to get one now and then you obviously have later liberty coming back with the New York Rangers. So, Walt, what were your top five? And then we'll go straight into our bottom five there. Well, I mean, top five, I've got the same one at number one, just that Coyotes purple jersey. I, th I think that jersey is actually better than the original, too. I mean, just that purple color on there is just amazing. It's like a softer purple. And I think, I mean, I'm hoping the Coyotes go back to that Kachina set full time. Hopefully they make like a white version of their current alternate and wear this purple one as their third jersey. I mean, I just think that would be a lot of fun. Second one, we've got Anaheim. 
uh, bringing back the Wild Wing jersey with him bursting through the ice. I just think that jersey was so much fun. And, I mean, I remember seeing pictures of it when I was younger, and I was always hoping they would bring it back. And it's really cool to see that one back. I mean, they're just wearing it for a game or two, so might as well have fun with it. Then I got Calgary's jersey, uh, bringing back the Flaming Horse logo. That just reminds me of the Flames back in, like, the Jerome McGinley days, like back playing NHL 06. And that's also why I've got the Rangers, the Lady Liberty on there, and also the Canucks gradient alternate. I mean, they bring me back to, like, those NHL 06, NHL 04, just playing those video games and always playing with the third jerseys. I mean, just great sense of nostalgia, and it's cool seeing, especially the Canucks one, them bringing that jersey back to life in their current colors. I mean, the Canucks, and we see what they do with their 50th anniversary with all those warm-up jerseys, and they just do a great job. Uh, from that perspective, I mean, I think the Sabres could learn a lot from them. Absolutely, absolutely. That was that was tough to watch them have all those jerseys, and then the Sabres did have. You know, I like the 50th anniversary jersey just fine, but um, yeah, they they definitely outdid them. Um, I think the thing with the Vancouver jerseys, I've seen some hate on them. I think they're going to look better in person once you see them on players and they're kind of moving out there. I like the the concept. They're going for it. Um, I like the you know the color scheme as well. So, uh, yeah, Vancouver's definitely in the, the honorable mentions there. Bottom five, man, they're, some of the jerseys that they released were, were pretty brutal. Um, yeah. You got Detroit wearing a practice jersey. You have the Islanders not really doing too much. Edmonton, kind of the same thing there. Nothing really blew me away. It looks pretty much like everything else. There might be obviously minor details that are different, but they didn't really change much. The two for me, this might be a quote-unquote hot take, but – um, St. Louis and especially Columbus. I really don't like the the red jerseys for St. Louis. I never really did. But what is Columbus doing? I, I mean, they you know, red's really not part of their main color scheme. I I don't really understand what happened there at all. Um, that that was just not the right choice for you know that that jersey. I think they could have done something uh, with their their mascot. Um, or something about their cannon or something along those lines, and, and they just went with a red jersey. It didn't really make sense. So those are my bottom five. Do you have any anything different on your end? Yeah, I mean, I got the Blue Jackets in my bottom five, and, like, yeah, same things. I mean, just red jersey with white arms. I mean, really can't get much uglier than that. And then you leave out the best part of those jerseys with the Stinger uh, shoulder patch logo. I don't get how you could leave that off. I mean, the Canon logo on there just doesn't really fit with the original logo. So, yeah, I mean, that's just – that was one of my favorite logos growing up. And, I mean, they just completely butchered that jersey. And then I've got – I mean, I got the Stars down there. I mean, even though Stars beat the Sabres in the cup wearing similar jerseys to this one, I've always liked the star outline on the jerseys. I think it's really unique. But, I mean, once again, they kind of just butchered this jersey design just because all the silver lettering on the Stars logo, I mean, you could barely make it out from a distance. And, I mean, just overall, I mean, it's just not that aesthetically pleasing of a jersey. Then the Islanders jersey, I mean, that's just Lou Lamorello not letting anybody have any fun. I mean, it just reminds me of, like the Alexi Yashin era in Long Island. It's kind of like a depressing era in Islanders history, so don't really know what they're doing with that. And obviously the Wings one, uh, it's just a practice jersey, and it looked like somebody filled in some parts of it with like a pencil. It's just so boring. 
And then my worst one, I'm going to go Toronto just because in the previews, it looked like they were going to go with an exact copy of those 80s jerseys, which I've always been a fan of, and just uh, replace the white with the gray on those jerseys. So I thought that would look pretty good. And especially be fun to see like the current core of talent like Matthews and Marner in those jerseys. But I mean, what they end up going with, with the blue numbers on blue jersey, blue logo on a blue jersey, it's not even the right logo from that era. And the logo is gigantic. Like, yeah, it takes up the whole chest of the front of the jersey. I mean, that probably adds an extra like five pounds to the player. That's how big it is. Seriously. And it's like, it's like I don't, I don't even know what they're thinking with that one. I mean, that, I feel, that, that's just an ugly jersey. I feel for the person I had to embroider all of those onto the jersey because that that probably yeah i know <laughs> um yeah something we didn't talk about that's more in the the news section um is and and this is a quick transition to, to something else but casey middlestat hasn't signed with the sabers doesn't believe to i don't believe he's signed his qualifying offer as of this recording which is saturday um you know what what's going on there is is he kind of a lost project are we do we need to completely reevaluate where he is and, and how the, the Sabres view him? What's I, I'm really interested to see what you have to say here because it's it's an interesting situation where you get drafted three years ago and now it's it's gone in in the top ten and now it's just gone all downhill. I think with Casey Middlestat, I mean, obviously I don't know the guy personally, but I mean I just think a lot of the stuff that happened in his career, I think he's really confident. In his game which is really great when the prospect is actually good and is actually doing well at like every level they play in but i mean for middle stat that hasn't been the case and his qualifying offer is honestly probably exactly at the spot of like the money he would get in his next contract so to see him thinking that he's worth more than that after like the season he had before and it's just i mean he was in the ahl last year he was a good player down there, but with a player of Casey Middlestat's caliber down there, especially a former eighth overall pick who did what he did at the World Juniors, I mean, you expect him to not just be good down there. You expect him to be great down there. And just the fact that he hasn't really been above average at any level of professional hockey, and obviously there's questions about his conditioning, his physical shape. And then I tweeted about this yesterday – uh, you see guys like Joe Valeno, uh, Barrett Hayden. They're out on loan in Europe right now. And I know Middlestat's RFA, so maybe that's keeping him from wanting to be loaned out to Europe. But, I mean, just the fact that he's not out there trying to develop his game, maybe trying to prove himself in this next contract. And there's just so many things I question about his development. And just, like, everything about him is just labeled, like, a potential future bust. I mean, he might even be a bust right now i mean just hard to see him developing into more than at i mean he's could play in the bottom six he's just not a bottom six type of player so i mean i just don't really see a future spot for him at on really any nhl team so i mean it's it's gonna be interesting to follow going forward it is interesting to to think about where he was and where he is now i remember watching him live in rochester and just really not being impressed with his skating at all. It seems like he was working extremely hard to 
not go as fast as the others around him. It's probably a skating stride issue. Um, you know, it looked like he was gassed after one lap, you know, one, one rush down the ice. And it seems, and, you know, we, we can't always blame him. You know, he was thrust into the NHL, you know, less than two years after playing high school hockey. Uh, but it seems like he was able to get by in high school with an imperfect skating stride. And, and that he had such good hands that he could just, you know, dangle away from anyone he wanted to. And, yeah, that's aesthetically pleasing, and, and you love to watch that, and we've seen it before with him. But just watching his impact on the ice in Rochester, yes, he made some really good plays out there when the puck was on his stick, but besides that, I didn't really see much that, that blew me away. And if you're in the AHL and you're a top-10 pick, um, that's – it's disheartening to see. So um, obviously I want him to, to pan out to, you know, be a top six player and, and a top six center. That would be awesome. But I think uh, it's time for us to, to start reevaluating and, and hoping that he becomes maybe a really good third line player and third line winger, because it just, especially right now, um, like you mentioned, he's not playing like a lot of other prospects for other teams are. And, and some, you know, prospects for the Sabres, he's not, doing anything with high intensity against quality opponents. And I'm not saying, you know, everyone else is, you know, playing against the best of the best, but if he wants to make the NHL and play in it next year and, and sustain his spot there, I would have, would have expected him to already be overseas and, and trying to make his way through, you know, this prolonged off season. So, I'm concerned, definitely concerned about where he, he's at. He probably doesn't have any trade value, and if you do, you're what are you going to get a third, fourth round pick maybe? And it's just, especially with this, the way the Sabres draft and some sometimes manage their assets, I'm not totally confident that they would use that third round pick in, in a wise manner, and then your top 10 pick from 2017 is just gone. That's it. That's that's the end of the road. That trade tree is that trade tree is just gone. Um, so it's, it's tough to, to imagine someone drafted with so much promise has gotten to this point. But, um, I, I think the biggest thing is on the, the brighter side of things is where Dylan Cousins fell to the Sabres and he seems to be performing really well. Um, he's going to the, I believe Canada is doing their world junior camp right now with, uh, both Jack Quinn and, uh, Dylan Cousins playing there do you see Dylan Cousins being a, a top line contributor uh, for Canada maybe second line where do you see Jack Quinn maybe fitting in on Team Canada I think Dylan Cousins you're definitely he's definitely going to be one of their main players I think alongside Kirby Doc and I mean we'll see if the Rangers let Lafreniere go to the World Juniors but I think Cousins I mean, he's probably going to be wearing a C or an A at that World Juniors team he should be one of the biggest players on the team with Jack Quinn, I think the key thing he has going for him is that his junior coach is on the Canada coaching staff. That's definitely going to give him an inside edge uh, to that team. In terms of a big role, though, even if he makes a team, I just don't really see it just because of how deep that Team Canada team is. And then you've got guys that are like a year older than him that were drafted back in 2019 who also put together great years in junior hockey. I think like guys like Tomasino, I think you'll see guys like him above him in the lineup. And even guys in his own draft, you like Seth Jarvis, 
I think he was a really underrated prospect going into the draft, and I could even see him getting a bigger role than Jack Quinn. So, I mean, Jack Quinn really has his work cut out for him. But, I mean, if he if he's able to do what he did in Ottawa, like be able to get into those scoring areas, be able to score those goals, I mean, he'll be able to work his way up the lineup, but it's definitely not going to be an easy path for him. This Canada team, I mean, they could really – they could have two rosters in this tournament, and they would – potentially win gold and silver i mean that's how loaded the team is going to this world juniors absolutely i think he's more of a complementary player so if you put him with someone that's especially higher skill you know kirby doc just has more skill than cousins i'm not knocking cousins i'm just saying kirby doc is a really good player um if you put him you know jack quinn with with kirby doc or someone like that that can you know let someone else you know make the plays and him just use that lethal shot you know that could potentially be something that you know the coaches are interested in um it obviously depends on you know the play away from the puck and in the defensive zone and um you know transition obviously where um you know kirby doc will just blow by him but i think the one-two punch of a dylan cousins and a kirby doc on uh team canada i mean there that's that's the best one-two punch in the tournament for you know regardless of whatever other teams are putting out there i mean that's just lethal right there um, they're a deep team, like you said, probably could have a couple teams and, and perform really well. I'm sure they could make a third team and they would at least, you know, make it out of the qualifying rounds and, and whatnot. So it's pretty interesting to see the trajectory of Dylan Cousins. I personally thought he fell in the draft and to see him now and to be so highly regarded and to be able to go back to the World Juniors again and hopefully have another impactful performance i mean i i think that only helps him coming into the season with the sabers and, and i would really i i i'm trying not to get ahead of myself but i'm really putting together lineups and and lines for where does dylan cousins fit on the sabers i personally think a third line right winger maybe i sounds like you'll probably have cody eakin in between them but who would be on that left wing i know i wrote an article about having skinner cahoon unfortunately Cahoon's no longer with them, but having Skinner, Cahoon, and, and Cousins on the line, who do you think on the Sabres, just on paper, would be the right fit for Dylan Cousins to play with? Yes, Jack Eichel and Ress, uh, excuse me, uh, you know Sam Reinhart or um, Jack Eichel and, and uh, Victor Olofsson, but realistically, who would be the best case scenario for Dylan Cousins to play with on the Sabres? I think, I mean, I hope the Sabres learn from their lesson from uh, two seasons ago when they would throw Middlestad out there at center and give him another rookie in Tage Thompson and like Saboka on his wings. I mean, you're just asking for a prospect to fail. So I'm hoping that we kind of see what Chicago did with Kirby Doc last year and the Sabres start Dylan Cousins out on that uh, right wing side. And I mean, right now for the lineups, I think you're going to see Skinner install in that second line. And I think Cousins would fit in really well there just because you're not asking too much for him. You're not asking him to really drive play as much. I mean, you got Eric Stahl, who's like really responsible defensively. You have Skinner that could generate offense and dangerous shot opportunities for you. I just think being able to play with two players of that caliber and play him up in the lineup, I mean, that's really going to do wonders for his confidence. And, I mean, just not having to force him into a center position with, like, a guy like, I mean, maybe, like, Tob Tobias Ryder out on his wing or 
Eakin, I mean, just somebody that's not that good. I think that would be asking too much for him, but place him on an already established line. I mean, I, th- I think that's what the Sabres have to do for this upcoming season. I think the biggest question with that is, what do you want to do? Do you want to give Cousins more of a responsibility to produce points themselves on the third line and have less minutes kind of sheltering him a bit so you don't you know, feed him to the wolves, one might say? Or do you put him in that second line role where he will have more minutes, but he's not exactly the focal point of the offense. You have Skinner, obviously, and then you have someone like Jordan Stahl, Eric Stahl, excuse me, um, you know, distributing the puck. Is is that something that giving Cousins more of the garbage man, getting into the corners, getting the puck out, and getting it to his playmakers, is that kind of where you're headed towards Cousins' first year? I think with, I mean, with the Sabres last year, I think Ralph Kruger really tried to muddy the games up and play defensive hockey. But, I mean, this year with Taylor Hall and you got Cousins coming up, I would just throw Cousins up there at that talent and just try to have, like, an offensive explosion, maybe give that second line big offensive minutes. I mean, that's what Carolina did with Stahl and Skinner back in the day. And they didn't play too much together, but they put up some crazy offensive numbers one year. So, I mean, if I was the Sabres, I mean, and you got Dalina on the back end, just a really talented offensive defenseman, and he's good defensively too. I mean, Sabres, I'm just, I just play high event hockey this upcoming year. I just completely turn the dial from where they were last year. And, I mean, I would just have fun with it. I mean, obviously there's pressure to make the playoffs, but I, I don't think they should continue playing this, like, muddied up defensive style because now I think they have the personnel to open up things a bit especially offensively. And I guess this is a good preview for next week's, or I guess the week after's episode, uh, considering Thanksgiving is next week. Um, But it is a good preview because we will be going over more lineup scenarios and everything like that. Um, You know, who fits where and defensive pairings and, you know, how much to play the goalies. But what does that mean? If you have a line of Skinner, Stahl, and Cousins, you have either Hall, Eichel, and Olafson or Hall, Eichel, and Reinhardt. Is it Reinhardt? Is it Olafson? Who's on that right wing? Because if you if we're going on the assumption that Cousins will play with Stall and Skinner, not saying it is or is not going to happen, just you know for the sake of argument, who who gets put down on the third line? Is that Reinhardt to maybe spread out some some offense there? Is that Olafson, which He's definitely a power play specialist, but he isn't great five-on-five five away from Eichel. I, I'm not exactly sure how many stats can can back that up, but I, I that's just probably a fact considering everyone's probably worse away from Eichel. Um, what, what do you think on that? Is, is that something where you try to spread out the five-on-five five scoring by moving Reinhardt down, or do you keep Reinhardt on that top line, make it incredibly lethal, and then use Olsen for the power plays and, and keep him on the third line, you know, restricting his minutes a bit. You know, I think, I mean, Matt Bove on Twitter the other day, he posted a lineup of Gergensen's on that top line, and that pushes down some of the top guys even further and leaves them with the impact on the third line. That would be something I'd really like to see. Just the thing is, with everything we've seen from the Sabres coaching staff so far, it appears that Eichel and Reinhardt are joined at the hip. I mean, they're just not willing to break up that duo. So I th- I would drop Reinhardt to the third line just because I think if you want Eakin as your third-line center, 
you definitely need a good player on that line to kind of mask like all the deficiencies Eakin will bring to that line. But with the Sabres, I'm not sure if they're ready to separate Reinhardt from Eichel yet, even though you have Hall on that line. I mean, that's still to be seen, but at, what I would do is put Reinhardt on that third line. What the Sabres would do is, I think, drop Olos into that third line. So that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely fair. There's so many scenarios that could end up being true. And look, it's, it's a fluid game where they're constantly making changes. I mean, we've seen in the past where literally it seems like every single practice there were new lines and new deep pairings and everything like that. So it is fluid. It can go, you know, any which way. I'm personally on the go Eichel, Reinhardt, Stahl, and Eakin down the middle. Um, but that's, you know, a topic for the next episode. Um, besides that, I, I think, you know, we have a baseline of just wanting to get content out to people and having them engage. And, and we're working towards creating more segments. Uh, we already have a few on the books, but once we have all the segments together, we're going to put those together um, and, and create a more complete podcast. Um, like I said in the beginning, we're likely going to have more frequency once the season starts ramping up and you know training camp's going and start of the season goes. We'll definitely have more episodes there. Um, I think the last thing I really want to say uh, is that you know follow us on on any social media platform, um, Sabermetrics Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can find our YouTube channel uh, through links on that Twitter page. Um, basically, just trying to get this out there to people who just want to talk about the Sabres, listen about the Sabres. Uh, we, we're definitely looking for feedback. We're going to be doing Q&As. We're going to be doing um, all different types of engagement uh, when it comes to you know either recording or, or just engaging on Twitter. Um, I think that's it for me, Walt. Uh, if there's anything else you wanted to add, please speak now or forever hold your peace. But um, there's a lot to come, and, and it's constantly going to be building and getting better. Um, like we said, this is just the, the baseline. Wanted to get this out there to people and and go from there. Anything else on your end? Yeah, I mean, uh, once the season gets started and once we get more episodes out there, I mean, we're going to have some really fun guests on here, uh, just like a variety of people from like coaches to analysts. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to the future of this podcast. I mean, I think this is going to be the beginning of something really great and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this first episode. And I mean, we've got a lot of great things in store for you. I'm just really looking forward to it. Absolutely. The best is yet to come, especially if we're talking about the Sabres, I hope. Um, but thanks again for everyone for listening. Again, this is the Sabermetrics podcast under the Charging Buffalo Podcast Network. Follow us at Sabermetrics Pod on Twitter. And thanks to Walt for joining me here. We'll catch you on the next one.